Hello, and welcome to Scuttlebutt, the war movie review podcast. We're happy to have you with us as we take a look at films from the dawn of cinema to today. We aim to provide a raw and unapologetic review of each film's cinematography, historical accuracy, and delivery. In the process of analysis, certain details will be revealed. These spoilers are only divulged to ensure a fair assessment of each film. We head to Los Alamos this week with Roland Joffe's 1989 World War II scientific epic, Fat Man and Little Boy. As always, I'm joined by Mike A. Hello, hello. Mike B. Yes, sir. And Nate. There's a fat man in a small tub in the beginning, but that's fine. <laughs> so, guys, what'd you think? <laughs> Mike's, Mike's face. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> oh. He wasn't even. Oh. <laughs> That, that, that's a low blow. <laughs> he wasn't that fat, the man in the tub, so it's fine. <laughs> no, Nathan's way fatter. I am, yes. yes. That's what happens when you only eat Old Bay. Fat man in a little coat. <laughs> hey! That's a great reference. I've literally done that and split a coat. <laughs> Just like Chris Farley? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll embarrass myself today. I bent down to go pick up a Bren case and I fucking split my pants right down the right butt cheek. Like, yeah. just split it right down. I'm like, God damn it. Like, did it just split funnier than that. on your asshole or did it go down your leg? No, it went down. It went down my, like, my, my right butt cheeks, so right where the pocket is. <laughs> it's like the second pair in like fucking two years, in like a year. But it didn't go down that. past your taint? Like, it didn't go down like. No, no. What'd your no, boyfriend no. have to say? Uh, he loved it. Um, the, 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 it went it went halfway down like my calf and all that kind of stuff. So shiver me timbers. Well, that's what I just asked you. It went halfway, so it did go down past your. Nice tank. pun. I mean, I well, maybe. Do, okay, how, do we need? How, to... how do you know? My take could be longer than the average human. You don't know. Yeah, you don't know. The taints versus are... the vertical tear that you're talking. According about. to Joe Rogan, taints are shrinking in, in humans. <laughs> <laughs> To end to end the stupid already gimmicky <laughs> fucking conversation, it's yes, it went past my taint. Anyway, let, fat man and little boy. Let's uh, yeah. Let it, <laughs> yeah. Speaking oh, of science, shit. oh shit, we're doing a podcast. Shit. Oh shit. Okay. All right. Yeah. 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 We're not. Yeah. Speaking of we hit, science, we, we hit the record button, Mike B. Okay, we can't have this no, conversation. Right, we're good. Right we're good. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, there, clowns. <laughs> Um, well, I guess I'll start. Um, I'd never seen this before. It's, you know, it's a nice little melodrama about Who's beating uh, down a dog right now. My fucking neighbors. I'm sorry. Okay. They have, All right, they sorry. have a bunch sorry. of hounds. Okay. That's and fine. They, yeah. Like I wanted every, to make... They don't have dogs. They have hounds. <laughs> yeah. You live fine, like in yeah. a Scottish residence. <laughs> well, they, they have, they're like hunting dogs and like they, they have like four of them and then they don't do it. They just leave them in the backyard. So they just start going crazy. It's fine. So. It's fine. It's no, it's no big deal. I just, was, I just, right. I, I was like, okay, yeah, if I can hear it, it's gotta be on the mic. So yeah. I'll, so they'll I'll do that for up. like 10 minutes straight. And then finally one of the, one of the owners will come out and be like, shut up. No, I get you. No worries. Yeah. Go ahead. anyway. It's okay. So I I thought it was all it was it was pretty good. You know, I I, I was entertained by it. Um, I'm not a super fanatic on the history of this action of the true story, but I thought for what it was and the time period it was made, um, it was entertaining. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of really good actors. A lot of actors who were uh, who were up and comers of the time who eventually became something uh, in this. So yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I'll just jump in quickly as well. Um, so this is the second time yeah. I saw it. And funnily enough, Michael, I, the first time I saw it was because of you. 
Um, oh, really? In 2020, I got COVID early on. or I didn't get the test because whatever, but I'm pretty sure I got it. And I was home from work. And you put up a post about this on one of the military like websites. It was, uh, I think, War uh, Movie Forum or something. And I was bored. I was like, I only watched that. I didn't know it existed. And I was like, oh, pretty cool. Was it the, was it the Demon Core scene? Yeah, it was the Demon Core scene. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I saw yeah. that. And I'm like, oh, it's very interesting. And then I ended up watching it. And I really liked it. You know, um, I love the pacing of this movie. It's one of the only movies where, like, they do a good job of showing that there's other events going on in the background that are forcing what's going on in the foreground. Um, and just, like, stupid shit. Like, the guy reading the paper at one scene where it's just, like, you know, Wasp sunk in the Solomon's battle, huge defeat. And just the, the very small ways to do it. And especially with the music, too. I think this film does a really good job with that. Just, again, to keep that, like, staccato beat of, like, there's other things happening where you have to keep pushing. You know, your little enclave of scientists is important, but it has to get pushed and go along with the process. Um, no, it's, it's really well done. And it's really funny to have seen it now after last week's Memphis Bell, which was a year later. So these films are like right around the same time. And there's a lot of similarities yep. and a little bit of differences too, which is interesting. Um, and this film, I mean, so technically it's a war film. And I, I think it's a war film because it's about a wartime project that, you know, impacted everyone's lives. Yeah, it's a war film, um, yes. Yeah, you know, so I, I know some people have a hard time categorizing like, as my grandmother would say, shoot em up films. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a war film. It's like it's a, well, it's a debate I have with so many people about like yeah. what a war film is. You know? Yeah, you know, it's it, to me it's during a, during a realist a real conflict that occurred. You know, it has to be set in some real tentative history that that happened to be a war film, and, and then that it's just an action movie. But um, no, just to finish up my quick thoughts. Yeah, I, I really like it, and I'm glad I watched it again. Um, and I'm really interested to see Oppenheimer. Because this is the closest thing that comes to telling the story. There's a million other. There's like a TV show, The Manhattan Project, I've never seen. Um, I know it came out like 10 years ago. I think there's another one too that came out not too long ago. So they've tried to cover it a lot. But this is the one that comes closest to try to telling the whole story, beginning to end in a way. And um, it, it's well done. It, it really gets the points that it needs to get across. So Old Bay. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> oh, what uh, are we doing? <laughs> I'm just what? sitting here reading. Oh, hold on, what? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm like Oppenheimer. Come on. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm catching up on um, some. <laughs> that was some a great reaction. stuff. Um. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. Like. Oh, hello. Yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was just like. Yeah. Hmm? Um. He closes his playbill. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, the uh. So so this. I had never seen this movie. I've always seen the the the, the scenes, um, the same kind of scenes that you know Mike uh, had shared around, like like the Demon Core and a couple other ones, and the and of course the 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 last scene uh, with like the you know the whole um, uh, explosion and the goggles kind of thing. Um, no, it it is. Uh, I never really quite had the chance to see it, and when I did. It w- It struck me. I was very. It, it struck me very interestingly, and I hate to say it like that, but it really did. Like I have a lot of personal connection with this, with family members being a part of this project. Um, my great uncle was a part of the project in terms of the building of instruments for the bombs, um, and then my uh, my great aunt was a secretary uh, to the photo department uh for for uh, the los alamos so it was 
very, very close to home in the sense of like, you know, kind of getting this Hollywood-esque kind of, you know, grandioso um, look to it. But um, no, it, it seemed like it was, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. The effects, again, I think what Brian had said, like, it very much uh, felt like uh, Memphis Belle. And, uh, you know, it, but but it, I, I had a very hard time kind of not trying to be biased with this film, I think, because of my ties. Um, one of the cool things that, you know, I, I had a book on my shelf that was sitting around for forever that I haven't looked at in probably 10 years. And uh, I pulled it out and I was reminded about stories and interactions and stuff like that. And um, my great uncle was uh, pulled in from uh, Princeton and he pretty much, and did, and I'm I'm going this for one of the reasons is that you know secrecy was key. Um, they he couldn't tell anyone where he was. No one knew that he was not at Princeton. His family, coworkers, everyone thought he was at Princeton. And what they did was they faked him being at Princeton, sent all of his mail to Princeton and then sent from Princeton to the, to the places he wanted to send and then vice versa. Um, and his girlfriend at the time, my great aunt, um, she, they wanted to get married and he had to ask Oppenheimer special permission just to go get married. And he was able to go, he couldn't leave anywhere. And the only way they were able to do that was he had to fly to Princeton to get married and then uh, and then she came back with him and got a job in the photo department and did all that. So uh, and they were actually first people other than the military to have horses at Los Alamos, too, which I thought was very interesting. Um, but no, it's again, I mean, I could talk forever about it, but it's it's very um, it's it's very interesting and I, it's hard to not be biased, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed the whole entire movie as like a whole, I think. Um, Mike, you think or you did? I did. I don't know. I, it's hard. Like <laughs> there's some there's some Hollywood tropes that I didn't like about it. Yeah, but well, yeah, but I okay, but I yeah, but like okay. but like I physically like I don't like want to speak shit for it. And like I pro I probably like like how Brent that gets to chime in with Brian said it's like with Oppenheimer coming up this might go down in bias because Oppenheimer might take over or it might not, you know, right. I don't know. So right. it's very interesting. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would agree that it's, it, this film touches on a subject that uh, to me is very um, sensitive, not because I have any family ties to it or that I know of, but because it literally was the project that changed the world and brought us into a, a new phase of existence as humans, right? And it was a massive project, and it was a bunch of people that were assembled to create this device, as they said, you know, in the film. Um, and it's funny because they... They don't really touch on Oppenheimer's like background a lot, and people. <clears throat> my voice just cracked there. That was great. I'm going through puberty again. Maybe it'll get lower. Maybe it'll get Oppenheimer. Maybe it'll get more sexy. 
But um, no, so Oppenheimer, hey, Mr. Though, Connery. They, they um, most people think because of like they, you know, oh, I've listened to Joe Rogan about this whole thing, Operation Paperclip, and all that shit. They think that Oppenheimer was like pretty much extracted from Germany, and then you know did this. No, that's not that's not the case. Like if you look at the history of Oppenheimer, he had been studying in California for years, and then a little bit of back and forth and whatever. But he was living here for a long time. That's why if you listen to him talk uh, after the project and everything, he speaks very, very clear and eloquent English. And that's a, it's a misconception and, and B it's a kind of a thing that they never touched on in the film of like, how did Oppenheimer get here? Why was he here? Why did they hire him? Why did they pretty much force him into this project? Well, that's never that's never addressed really, which we can talk about. But um, that's the one big issue I have because because it is this movie's largely based around Oppenheimer, right? And um, and the uh, general, what the fuck was his name? I I forgot. Uh, he was a colonel and then a general. Um, but anyway, Leslie Groves. Gross. Gates. Gates. Yeah, General Gates. Gates. General Gates. Okay, yes. Yeah, his real name was his real name was Groves. Oh, was it Groves? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean it might have been different for the movie, but okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But whatever. So I, you know, uh, but anyway, it they 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 try to portray things in a certain way, and I think they might have gotten close, but it was um, there's a lot of issues that I have with it, which we'll talk about in this podcast, but. Um, yeah, the film itself was okay, in my opinion. So, we'll go from there. Well, yeah, well, let's just jump right into it. Oppenheimer is probably the one of the most brilliant people ever born or created, whatever you want to say. Like, he was just... When you read the stories about him, it's amazing. And he was... Some people describe him as a walking nutcase. He would smoke three or four cigarettes at the same time. Yeah. He was just so incredibly smart that, like, his wife basically was his caretaker because the guy was just out there and not out there like in a crazy sense, but like in a mad scientist kind of way, you know, like when you're just fighting problems, like, a, like when people think of Tesla and his lab and like doing these kinds of things, like that's really how Oppenheimer was just like just constantly chain smoking and doing these things. It's like ADD on steroids. And you do on, see a little yeah. bit of that in this where like, they're like, Oh, can we go to the canteen to talk about the implosion idea? And like, you see like the, the crazy, in their eyes, but because they're onto something, you know, and like how you could just see the dots getting connected. So he, he's an amazing individual, um, like all that's, around. That's how a lot of really brilliant people are, though. It's where they're so brilliant in one thing that they're lacking in everything else. You know? Yep, exactly. They literally like are a walking basket case. But yeah. like you said, they have this one amazing ability where like you just if you nurture, you 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 get a bomb. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's just incredible. Um, so he was an amazing individual. And I, as far as I could tell, he was really brought on board because um, they needed somebody to run the scientists, you know, because as the general uh, greats or gates, whoever it was, he was like, they're all prima donnas. They're all, you know, he did not want to deal with these scientists. So um, he needed to find somebody that he could trust and who could be the circus master, basically, of it. And along the way, he found Oppenheimer. And just to go back a little bit. I do love how the film starts because it does start exactly how the original story starts. The Pentagon is being finished, you know, and he wanted to go to the Pacific to have a combat command. 
he was a, in the Corps of Engineers, but he was promised if you build the Pentagon, then you'll be able to go overseas. And it's a great line they have. In, well, I built the place, so I, I guess I'll eat it. <laughs> Fucking uh, with the cake. But um, so in the real life, it's funny. He got the job on a Friday and was really pissed. But he had this mantra where it's like, your orders, if you have orders, you do it to the best of your ability. So Saturday, he got security clearances. Monday, he had already secured 10,000 acres in Tennessee to build a uranium plant. Tuesday, he was already in California. Like within a week, he got so much done on the, on the Manhattan Project. It's like fucking insane. And within two months, he basically created all the infrastructure across the country to make uranium-235 so that they could, you know, in two or three years, because it's going to take a really long time to make enough fuel, they'd be able to build the bomb. But like before they got a lot of scientists and everything involved, he just set up all the background shit. He was, he's an amazing person in his own right because he just had the ability to build these huge organizations and get it done. And as a side note, something interesting that popped up, he was also in charge of building all the Japanese internment camps for Japanese Americans during <laughs> the war at that same time. That's fun. So, yeah. So I'm like, that's kind of interesting. That's part of his legacy. Um, but uh, so that's like the background of it a little bit and um, for Oppenheimer and stuff. They do glance over certain parts of the story or like dumb it down a little bit. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But um, no, it's it's interesting. He was just basically brought on to, you know, be in charge. Well, it's interesting that you say that because you're saying that like he was a very eccentric kind of guy. He was what you say, like basket case type. You know, his wife was basically his caretaker. Um, they don't I don't know. In my opinion, anyway, it's not they didn't really seem to show that much of that in this movie. He's depicted more as like this, like you know, uh, kind of elegant, brilliant guy. And, um, I mean, he's like stressed the fuck out the whole time, but like, I don't know, he, it, it didn't seem to me anyway that he was like kind of, you know, that, uh, that mad scientist type thing that we're talking about. So that's one thing that maybe in the Nolan, uh, Oppenheimer with Killian Murphy, maybe there he's going, that's more how it's going to be. So yeah. It, it seems like they are going to go that route because of just the, the, the feeling from the trailer and just knowing, how they're going to have to just tell the same story, but in a different light. I feel like they're going to go more of that. And plus with Nolan's um, track record of, uh, of, of, of making Killian Murphy play someone psychotic with a scarecrow, it might be, uh, it might be, it might, might be the thing that they go. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to say the least. So, I already have my IMAX tickets for opening night, so I'm really yeah, I'm looking go forward see to it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking eleven mile <laughs> long, uh, like real. It's pretty crazy. Damn. Um, also, to touch on it, this is really well cast. Like yes. we were saying earlier, like Paul I, Newman does a great job. I love old ass Paul Newman. I mean, I know he's he's famous <laughs> for like yeah, mm-hmm. like you know through the fifties and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I love it once he became an old man and like he did stuff like this and like you know Road to Perdition and things like that. Like that was a I great love. That was a great movie. Yeah, Road to Perdition. It is great. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, no, he he's great in it and um, has some great lines in it. And I I love his way of speaking and shit like that. So yeah, no, no, no. And like well, I said, a lot his of his way of speaking. Mm-hmm. I'll argue with you on that. He tried to be more gruff than what he needed to be. I don't know if that was direction mm. or if that was just what are he you, thought. Are you saying compared to the actual guy he's playing or to just your personal taste? Sorry, uh, I, I cut out there because we're getting okay. some storms rolling in. But like, what'd you say? I said, uh, is it, are you saying that because is it for your own personal taste or the actual, like compared to the actual guy he's supposed to be? No, it's my personal taste. Okay. So it's my own opinion. Like I don't, I don't, I think when people say they, they spoke gruffly, um, 
like for a historical figure, I think uh, creative liberties get taken a little bit too far. Not necessarily in this case, it wasn't taken that far, but it's like, you're an older guy. Y- your voice is going to be more raspy, right? It's going to be more worn. But I just think it was kind of like um, on uh, the Thin Red Line with... Um, I was just thinking, I was like, you also critique Nick Nolte. Nick uh, Nolte, yeah. yeah. And, and it's the thing is like, just speak natural, like your natural voice. Well, there, son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I think, I think it was just a personal gripe that I had with, and that's, that's one of the only acting critiques I have for this is just that and it's a small, it's a really whatever. But like, again, it's, it's been in multiple films and I think that people should just talk in their voice and it's also up to casting to cast people who just when they when they talk normally they sound like that the whatever character they want to emulate you know what i mean it's it's i don't know if i'm explaining this correctly but like yeah it's in my head but like i i think the gruffness could have been taken down a notch cuz it sounded forced a little bit that's it but yeah I think that John C. McGinley in this is really funny, especially because he's coming out of Platoon. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yes. I, like, love, <laughs> I love John C. McGinley. I think he's an extremely mm-hmm. underrated or uh, underrated oh, yeah. actor. I mean, he's very underrated. Yeah. Scrubs. There's so yeah. much that he's. Oh, so my God. Made, you know? He he's, was really yeah. good in this, too. I thought he was very mm-hmm. good in this. He he, yeah. he didn't overdo it. He didn't try to oversell it. Yeah, it was have perfect. You guys seen, uh, have you guys seen talk radio? The Oliver Stone film? It's the it's the one no. he did right after Platoon. Uh, John C. McGinley he plays the DJ in it. And, oh uh, really? Hmm. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's awesome. He's awesome in everything. I'll I've check it out. In, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's really not a lot that. Um... Oh, that's right. He's in Point Break too. <laughs> yeah. He's wow. also in The Rock, Brian. Remember that, see, Nate? I passed. It. We're gonna have to watch that. In two weeks. I know you. You were so fucking out. <laughs> uh, Describe yeah. your last yeah. shit with the title of a movie: The Rock. The Rock. <laughs> the Predator. Elegant, that's an elegant string of pearls, by the way. <laughs> you, you, usually mine is there. W- there will be blood. Yeah. Like, hey. So there will be blood. Yeah, that's usually um, mine. But anyway, go ahead. I totally forgot that Laura Dern was a Jurassic Park. Like, what? You, you forgot that? Well, it took me a second like to, one of the to main Michael, not, not everybody's a fucking autistic nerd like you are with film. Wait, wait, wait. Who's, okay, Lord, okay. who's Lord Dern? Which one's she's the nurse? nurse in this movie. Yeah. She's, she's Ellie Sadler in Jurassic Park. Whoa! Okay, Jesus. hold on. Wait hold for on. a second. Hold on. Your mic just did something, Mike. Uh, your, okay, your, mic, your mic went back to the old mic. It blew the fuck out. It, that, it, that's what it used to do. That's you just blew out the fucking do. fourth yeah. wall. Right? Yeah, I was about to say, what it, the fuck just happened? It right. used Dude. to do that all the time, and then it reversed and went negative, and that's the first time it's gone okay. positive. It's like that while. old Bose commercial with the guy in the chair. Yes. <laughs> Holy shit. Is it okay now? Is it okay now? Okay. I mean, we'll let you know if it happens again. Thank you. Yo, I, Mike, I know you will. It yeah. just it uh, sounded like you were screaming at the top of your fucking lungs to no yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Laura Dern is... Laura Dern! <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't experience no, it. Myself, it, it but, it's uh, fine. You'll, you'll yeah. hear Laura it. Dern is the nurse in this, and she's Ellie Sadler in Jurassic Park. So, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, she's oh, she's sit- yeah she's like one of right. the main characters in, right, in right, Jurassic right, Park. Right, 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 right. Who played Oppenheimer's wife, by the way? Um, <clears throat> she looked so familiar, I couldn't place her. 
And I know if I go to IMDb, I'll find it. But I just was curious if you guys. I just I, I'm on uh, Wikipedia right now. Bonnie Bedilla. I don't even know who that is. Um, mm. She's been maybe in a bunch she looks too much like Jillian Moore or something, and that's why she, I think uh, she's in Die Hard. It says um, that's why. Okay, she's 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 John McClane's wife. That's why. Oh, that is her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's oh why. fuck. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. fuck. Yeah. The yeah, moment the moment you said Die Hard, it, it, it connected. I managed only to, one person can make because only one person because she doesn't have the mad. she doesn't have the eighties <laughs> hair and the red like. No, it's funny. Suit. Her picture on Wikipedia is her from like the sixties. I'm like, that <laughs> she looks way younger. I think she stopped acting by like I think the mid nineties. So yeah. she dead. Let me see. No, she's still alive. Okay. She dead? Well, I don't know. Maybe she's not acting because she died. Check her pulse. Sometimes that happens. It's like, why is that actor? I haven't seen him in anything forever. Oh, he died 10 years ago. Yeah, well, but uh, no, it was very well cast. I was I was very surprised. Yeah, the like actors, said, they, they did a really good job. Around. Except for, again, it's just like Paul Newman. I don't know if that was the direction or whatever, but like, that's it. That's the only gripe I have. Paul Newman. But, okay, penis, are you done? Sorry, sorry, yeah, you making up your own little Paul Newman song? You want some shit? salad dressing over there? No, no. Got some salad dressing for you. Newman Sean, Zone! Sean, Newman Sean, Zone. Sean would know what I'm talking about. He lived about. in Connecticut for a long time. He started like this Who whole... Who gives uh, a fuck about Connecticut? Stop with your he shit. Made, he started a bunch of charities that are awesome around the state, actually. That are still soluble and shit. So, he's yeah. a great person. One little shitty on state in, in the <laughs> Union... One Two hours by state. 90 minutes, you know. We made all your guns, asshole. It's the <laughs> longest state if you ever want to get to Boston. Yep. Joe Rogan, not to bring him up again, but he's got this great thing. He's like, Connecticut's a fucking nowhere place. It's a fucking highway between New York and Boston. It really it's is. Like, <laughs> it really like, is. I've looked at a map. Yeah. More I, people I, in the north and rich people in the south. When you're on the highways in Connecticut, that's how it feels. But I will admit, like, when you get off those highways, it's actually pretty nice. So It is. So... But it's like, how many people do I know, like, in the industry, like, they're from Connecticut? And it's like, how in the fuck are you all from that shitty little state? Two of the the fucking uh, guys in Reveille found out from Connecticut. Uh, Joe and... uh, John. uh, Yeah, so (laughs) back on track here. Yeah, we're we're, Uh, we're doing this thing again. Yep. But yeah. Yeah, um, no. John Cusack. John Cusack, um... Now, he's based on a couple people. He's not actually, like, a real guy. Um, I did know that going into this. Um, yeah, they did change the events around a bit. And um, something that was interesting that I found out today, actually, that they didn't touch on in the film and that I had no idea about was, so if you watch the film and you notice how late the dates are getting and they still don't really have anything done, it's like the Battle of the Bulge. They still right. are, like, trying. And I was very surprised by that. I'm like, you know, because I really am interested in the story now. And the problem that they had was that they were, came up with the idea for the gun, where they were going to shoot some uranium-235 into another piece of uranium-235 and then have it explode. Well, the problem was that it was going to take three years for them to get enough uranium for one bomb. And plutonium would melt the gun barrel. So to make plutonium work, they had to figure out an implosion because that would, that would crush it. And the movie, they kind of just like, they didn't mention that there was two different fuels. They were just like, oh, well, the gun's not going to work, so we have to go this there way. There you go, yes. And that's the reason, because they had a different combustible material, because they were not going to have enough uranium. It was basically going to be a like a $40 billion project for one bomb that they don't they couldn't test because they only had one. 
So they had to figure out a different way to do it. So they figured out this implosion idea to, to make plutonium work. And that's why they ended up doing the Trinity test with the implosion and it worked. And later on, um, I'm not sure which one, but one of the uh, bombings um, was a plutonium implosion bomb. And the other one was the actually gun bomb that they made that they spent three years making with the uranium-235. So the first time that Fat Man was used or tested at all was when it was dropped over Japan, which is pretty insane. Yeah, that's the thing. So yeah, yeah. I, I, do know, I do know that part of it. So uh, um, Little Boy or whatever was uranium-235, right? That was the first one that was dropped on Hiroshima. <clears throat> and then three days later, they, this is an argument we can get into, but like they didn't have to necessarily drop that bomb on Nagasaki, but they did because they just wanted to see if plutonium, because you needed less of it, a lot less of it, um, to get a bigger effect. Uh, they wanted to see if that was going to be something that was sustainable. And so that's why they, so yeah, um, little boy was uranium 235 and, uh, Fat Man was plutonium. Completely wrong. There was no reason they were going to drop a second bomb for just a test. They they had a third bomb ready to go. There's a rumor that Truman bluffed they had a third bomb. They had a third bomb ready to go, and they were going to produce two more plutonium bombs for a September and an October bombing. So I don't know where that test idea came from, but no, they were strategically going to go through them. There was no idea of just doing another test as far as everything I've read in the history that I've learned. Um, so... No. But the Japanese, after the first one was dropped on Hiroshima, they were like, okay, we need to start talking to these guys. Only Hirohito. Nope. Most of the government was diehard, didn't want to surrender. Yeah, that's The second bomb too. dropped on the 9th, yeah. and then Hirohito basically wanted to end the war because he didn't want to lose the country. The Japanese have been trying to surrender for four years for the whole war, but they said that you have to keep the empire, the emperor as the seat of government. And the allies kept saying no every single time. Unconditional, 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 unconditional. So in August of 45, Hirohito was like, I don't give a shit anymore. We can't have our country get destroyed. Because by that point, anyway, Japan was didn't have a Russian Navy. Fucked, literally, you know? Because they're the even talking about it. You're the Soviets. Well, yeah. But you like, know? you know, Japan was, you know, basically a, a nation of 70 million people that were going to fight to the death or starve. And they had no means of really bringing in anything. Because Japan mm -hmm. is a very rocky island with not too many places to live on the coasts. So um they were just gonna bomb the shit out of that motherfucker until they didn't have to but there are all these plans to, to keep on going and just to touch on this now it's very interesting because you know the reason that we got into making the bomb was because the germans had a, a nuclear program and they were very heavily into it you know there's a very famous movie we'll get to eventually the heroes of telemark which is the raiders that went to norway to the heavy the water heavy water plant yep. the yep. h3 facility and there's the one funny story of that where they stole some before they blew it up and they put it in a German canteen. And along the way, they ran into a German patrol and the guy asked for a canteen and they gave it to him. <laughs> so, you, can, you can drink heavy H3, water. Yeah. No, it kills you as far as I know. Uh, no, but, it has to be very but, concentrated, but, which is hard, hard to get that much. But yeah, yeah you, but can, you can drink they, it. They ended up losing it, which is just kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Some random German fucking had some of that. Um, there is some very limited evidence from... Credible sources that the Germans did test a dirty bomb in 1945 on Soviet POWs um, around Pinamunda. There is nuclear activity in the ground, and there's Soviet POW testimony of being basically, you know, hit with a dirty bomb. It wasn't an efficient bomb like the West, but 
there's some pretty actually interesting things coming out about it that they might have actually done it. And it wasn't really found out until like 46 or 47. Yeah. Once a lot of the Operation Paperclip guys had actually turned sides and it was they think it was kept secret because a lot of those guys went into our nuclear program and everything. So mm-hmm. kind of like the whole NASA program with Werner von Braun and stuff. But they're actually the Germans might have actually been the first to detonate a, a bomb. Yeah, we'll never um, know. Not a, not a complete bomb. And there's actually some evidence, too, that the Japanese might have had their own program where they tested it on some ships. That's very, very far out there. But the German one theory is, is growing by the year. Also, I just, I just want to clarify for the podcast and for you that the whole thing I said about the second bomb in Nagasaki, that's my opinion. That's not a fact. That's just my opinion from what I've researched. So it's, yeah. it it from From what I've seen... I think they just wanted to see what plutonium could do in a combat setting versus using that much uranium, having to refine it to be uranium-235 from 238, you know, and all that shit. And um, that's my opinion. But I, I, did, I, I did know that they had a lot lined up and that they were ready to use them. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like <laughs> The core for the third one ended up being taken out and used with the demon core. And so that part of the movie is very fascinating. It's a true story, but it happened later on. I think it happened in October of 45. Um, and still, it, it's amazing. And it happened just like it did in the movie. The guy was playing with two screwdrivers, and he the mass went <coughs> subcritical because it fell on itself. Yep. It was and yeah. yeah, and so he literally said, told everyone, trace your feet, take off your metal, and he did the math, and within he was a dead. few days he was dead. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's yeah. It did take a lot longer. Plutonium, though, is um, something that you have to have. Like now, now they know this, but like at, at that point they didn't. Is you have to have that <clears throat> if you're going to get it to implode. It has to be in such a fucking controlled environment, or else literally a pinprick on your skin, you're dead. Like if you get if you get exposed this much like just a little tiny thing on your on your on your hand you're fucking toast because it's so much radiation that's so concentrated and it moves so quickly through your body and that's why when they fuck with plutonium now they it's in such a controlled environment with such equipment protective equipment that it prevents that from happening because it's so volatile so so this is a, a good point just to, to talk about this for now. Um, I think that a lot of people know more about it because the really amazing HBO series Chernobyl came out. But, you know, basically, when you're exposed... Not great, to this, not terrible. <laughs> when you're exposed to such high levels of radiation, uh-huh. you basically cease to exist as a human being. Yep. Because what the radioactivity does is it knocks part of your DNA out so basically your cells cannot replicate. And the reason that you're human is because your cells replicate or, or that you're a living being, let's say, you know, and over time, parts of your cell structure loses itself as it regenerates. And that's why you die of natural aging, because there's a point where your cells can't divide anymore mm-hmm. and multiply. And then there's nothing left. Yep. That's natural life. But what radiation does is it basically shoots these invisible bullets everywhere that go through and you know, your, your DNA, your cells, and destroy it so you're you're not a human being. And they really show that very well with ALS. Um, or sorry, not ALS. Uh, the radiation sy- um, you know, syndrome in Chernobyl because you're basically falling apart. 
literally what's happening, you know? Like, you're not, a, you're dead. You're just decay. Like, there's nothing left of it. But you're it, still, you know? you're still technically alive, but you're, you're decaying as if you were dead, the but sy- you're alive. The systems work, you know, until they fall apart. Like, they, you know, even they show it in this with the, um, the Michael, like, he was just, you know, having all this crazy shit happen. And, uh, like, the doctor was like, oh, you know, he's dying from the inside out. And that's exactly what happens, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, you, you basically cease to exist. Mm-hmm. But you just decay. That, that's, that's, and it's very simple. It's very hard to understand because you can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't feel it, you know? But, well, sometimes they so you can actually feel it depending on the, ro- the, the dose. But it's just crazy, you know? It's just this thing that just, you have a high dose. Usually within an hour, you get really sick, violently ill, you throw up, and then there's a delay period between a day or a few months, and then it hits, and then you fucking die. It's, um, it's just some insane. people can recover though, but like be have you know they're they're not the same after that ever again. Like there are people like with Chernobyl, what happened? There were some people who were they were exposed to insane amounts of radiation, but some did like not. I'm not saying normal, but like one or two people were able to recover from it, but like still to this day, they're fucked up. Like they can't get injured or anything like that. If they get cut, they can't heal and, or something like that, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's all these different cancers and crazy shit. And that's the one thing, again, they touched on Chernobyl. It's like the fucking, the guy that had the, was getting the cancer and stuff. And it's like this, it all affects you in some way. And I forget how many liquidators died after the fact from Chernobyl, but they did the horror, the horrible thing where they, the Russian thing was times five or the communist thing was times five. It was like not safe to be on the roof of the reactor for more than four seconds. So they said it was not safe to be on the roof of the reactor for more than 20 seconds. So they would have these guys that would go out and they would, you know, they would put lead on and everything. On, and, yeah. and they thought that they were following the rules, but no, they just fucking, they lied to them literally. And what are you going to do? Even the robots couldn't operate in the fucking, they had space robots from the Soviet space program that were getting destroyed because the radiation was so powerful. Is that graphite? Um, just to, I guess to to chime in on thing. I I don't. I'm I'm sh- I'm feeling very very much like I don't know that much to talk about. It no, I, it, to, it's it's totally fine. Like I don't to, know anything. Either, so, yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny. The, the, and unfortunately, this is where my mind goes. The best way I can describe radiation poisoning to people is imagine you're the jellyfish senator from x-men one and you're disintegrating into water that's the best way i can describe that to people who don't want to go through that graphic stuff and then number two um and it was in my head and now it's gone never mind it's gone chernobyl uh was good although i think with some of that stuff like particularly like the fireman like um from what what I've heard that like that the way that like they made him look in the show was a bit over the top and I've seen like photos and okay yes Nate <laughs> sorry I'm sorry I remembered what it was now um the there was and I don't know if it's real or not there was someone who posted on forums uh saying that they had bought uh radiation surplus suits and apparently had worn it out and then started feeling sick and they tested the suit at the hospital, like, because he was like, well, what, you're, you're, like, heavily radiated, like, what's going on? And apparently that suit he got in Ukraine, but doesn't know the history, and that's their thinking it came from or contaminated by Chernobyl. And it's, like, literally, like, the 1980s, like, like hazmat suits, you see the guys running on the roof. The, 
And I don't know if I, I doubt that's real. That's, you know, the Internet is the Internet. It sounds like an anecdote. <laughs> yeah. It's just like and he's like, well, I'm fucked. Well, you no, know, the, the, like, those suits really quick, Brian. And then I got to get through piss so you can talk away. I'm I'm Nate, but it's OK. No, I'm because I'm, Brian's got his hand up. Oh, oh sorry. I'm not looking. Fuck sorry. stain. All right. But like, uh, <laughs> no. So though, most of those chemical NBC suits, Seaburn suits, they're not going to protect you against radiation. It's a, it's a, no. it's a feel good. It's like a gas mask, right? Right. Well, okay. You might be able to breathe, but your but skin. Wasn't, but, but wasn't, but wasn't that what, and then we'll get back onto World War II radioactive shit. No, but the, that, this all does that, tie in. This all does right, tie but in. Right, but didn't, but didn't, but didn't Russia use those as like fake suits for the guys who were cleaning up? Yeah. Yes and no. They, they would cover them with armor, with lead armor, literally, and everything. It's, it, you gotta, I'll send you some documentaries you should watch. It's, yeah. it's still not, not. Um, the the, the 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 amount of uh, lead that they had on them is for that amount of radiation. Okay, yeah, sure, it'll protect you against minor, very minor radiation, right? Like depleted uranium, all that shit. Like, okay, but if you're talking that much, that that dose, like what we're talking about with this film, that's an insane amount of radiation, an insane. Right. Uh, right. th- that lead suit, it's a peace of mind thing that they're going to give you and be like, you're going to, you're going to be okay. And you're not at all. Cause that can punch right through that. And again, like with what I was saying about the plutonium, if one speck of your body is exposed to that amount of radiation, you're fucked. It, it's, it's nuts to, to say this a lot. And then we'll move on. Is that one of the things that, that I thought was very interesting is that both my great uncle and my great aunt didn't die of anything from uh cancer or anything crazy they both lived very long lives and they died of you know natural causes kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. it's it's nuts because a lot of their uh constituents did not um there's a lot of history especially in that book of of the of a lot of these people being racked with cancer um horrible horrible you know stuff oh Oppenheimer died of cancer eventually, and um, also, so we could touch on it a little bit, but they say it in the movie, but there was a big problem because there was a, when they were doing the test, which they were basically forced to do because of the Potsdam conference and everything, um, there was this big weather system moving through, and long story short, that spread a hell of a lot of radioactive material throughout the Midwest, and a lot of farmers became sick after that. And it's not really talked about, but like in August and September of 45, there is a, is a wave of radiation that, that occurs over the Western United States and it's linked to the Trinity test. Right. So I mean, it, well, this, this is also like the same guys who, or this is the same military or whatever that also put those guys in that color footage that you see just getting hit with like radioactive dust and then going up and touching like everything. You know, going up it, and touching the impact zone, all the debris from the vehicles. And it's just like, fuck, all was, those guys are dead. It <laughs> like, was, you know, the, the uh, what was it? The uranium girls, like all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, you know, with, the, was, with like the compasses uh, and stuff. The like radium, that. the radium girls or whatever. Yeah, the, yeah. Yep. They the, had to lick the, yeah, yeah, they sharpen the point as they would say. It would look there with the yeah, tongue. There's a really famous photo of the woman with a fucking, yeah, like tumor in her, in her jaw. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just the, the way it, it went. I'm gonna go, no, I'm gonna go take a piss was... really quick, and mm-hmm. when we get back, I want to. I'm just telling you guys this because I'm gonna probably forget. But like, it's something that should be discussed. Is um, 
cancer rates in the United States have gone up tremendously since this started. Whether that's just them being reported, known about, or whatever. And um, we'll touch. Re- yeah, I have yeah, a point for that too. So we'll yeah, yeah. So there. really quick, uh, Mike, can you Google? You're going to probably be stunned by this. How many um, atomic and nuclear tests have taken place in the United States since 1945? Yeah, yeah. You used to be able to go to Las Vegas and fucking watch them. They had hotels and everything. Uh, uh, Yucca Flat. Yeah, when you uh, learn about Yucca Flat. (laughs) Good. Good. tight. I totally forgot what point I was going to say, too. But uh, Yucca Flat. I'll I'll put this in here. This is fucking hysterical. So I watched the film last night. And then I just went to like watch the clip again because I really do like the bomb sequence of this. I think it's very well done. I love the music, you know. <laughs> but somebody commented something that fucking just ma- took me out of it and made me laugh so hard. That you know they have the whole bomb scene and everything. It's very well done and everything. And the first top comment with like four thousand likes is, uh, "What is that fridge flying towards us, sir?" I'm like, yes, motive up God. So obviously you know what you know fucking, what the next scene I watched was right. That fucking t- hate that goddamn movie. Ugh. <laughs> I don't know it's fun if you like making fun of shit. You know? Well, the, okay, we'll 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 keep it light because until Mike gets back to we talk about cancer deaths. Um, is that uh, um, you know the the that movie's fine. I can take that movie on the chin for what it is. It's just, I'm very glad they did the new one. And Brian Cena, he says it's good. So I'm, I, I it sucked for the that. first hour and 45 minutes. It was a woke fest. And the last 45 minutes was, makes it worth watching. Good Lord, it's that's a really a cool twist. Movie. <laughs> yeah. It's two so, and a half hours. Um, I, I've always said with that film, like, you know, when people were up in arms about it, it's like, it's so stupid. It's like all the Indiana Jones movies are stupid. Like it's dumb fun. You know? <laughs> yeah. I was going like, to say like, when, it's... when, I, have you looked at Temple of Doom? Yeah, like they're well, all dumb. Yeah, like there there was an '80s ripoff of of Indiana Jones, and he was based in the South Pacific. I have to look it up, huh. but he had, they had like three or four movies, or like sea movies, and he was like trying to steal like Indonesian relics from the Nips or the Japanese and shit like that. Do you wear and a it's fedora? Very, yeah, like it's literally like a knock, and he it's like, like a, flew around in like a seaplane oh, wow. and all this shit. Was he and white long, or was he like Filipino? He was a white guy, yeah, but okay. it was like late eighties. But long story short, in the nineties, he did a little bunch of kids, and then like he's still in jail, and he's oh, like this no. horrible sex offender. <laughs> do they call him? Do they call him Diddle Jones? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know, but like it's pretty funny. So there, there was what a, a knockoff. Twist. <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta find it right now. But it's like. It's pretty funny it's, i knew about this, young indiana jones yeah. and that whole like spinoff that's all on disney plus now i've, never I, I've seen been that. going i've been going down on nostalgia trip with that you should watch it's not bad yeah isn't um, he in world war one at some point in it like when you was uh like, no he was like a young he was like in his like 20s he was supposed to be in world war one um at some point like when he was young maybe okay um possibly that that <laughs> that tv series took a lot of liberty um okay. i'm trying to think uh i'll have to find the diddle jones though that's something I'm. yeah that, i gotta look that up that's crazy <laughs> yes. oh oh yes. funny funny enough i said that hold on hold on wait so there's actually an insert in this book of my uh my great aunt talking about the photography department and she worked with um uh jillian mack who was the uh uh i think i think for the photography department and one thing he kept saying and this is relevant he he uh he kept he, the phone connection was really bad 
and he would just yell from the other room. Didn't matter who was there. Be like, um, my granny was nickname was BB, and I say BB diddle the operator. <laughs> and apparently that means like call them back, like get them back. And so the fact that I kept saying diddle Jones just brought me right back to that. So yeah, that's where it comes uh, from. That's where it comes from, Diddle Jones. It all circles back around. Um, so, so my great aunt was diddling people, so that's what he can get from it. So there you go. Dude, there's Jesus a lot of Indiana Christ. Jones ripoffs. <laughs> Holy shit! A lot of Italian. It's like I gotta I go know. down a rabbit hole now. The Ark of the Sun God, the yeah. Hunters of the Golden Cobra. So, well, you so guys, what you guys are talking about? The we have a lot of homework to do now. <laughs> we do. Well, you guys are talking about the young Indiana Jones, uh, the one Michael was talking about. Yeah, he was. He fought for the Belgians in the First World War. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, yeah, I've never I seen va- this show. I okay, just, you I said you said okay, you said the Belgians. That vaguely brings back a memory. Yeah, he's show. wearing a Belgian helmet. Where well, it's yeah. actually a, it's actually yeah. a French M twenty six helmet that didn't come out for fucking years after that. But like, yeah. Oh God. Okay. This this is a, this is a, a very quick thing. I have a I have a, a a coworker who I worked with for almost seventeen years, and he's very old. <laughs> And uh, his father was in World War One. Oof! Yeah, he is really old then. He's like he's like in Holy his eighties, and his father <laughs> had him very late in life. And he was in World War One as a uh, with the Belgium with the Belgians for World War One. That they, jogged my memory. I'll have we'll go into that when we get, uh, once we get a movie for that. I have some they, wild stories with that. There's still one woman in the United States who's receiving a Civil War pension from her yep. father. Yep. I thought yeah, she so. died. Oh, I, this this was as of two years ago. I yeah, I, I think I she died. Dead, I think but... she died like last okay. year. Yeah, yeah, I think I she think died. She was, yep. yeah, yeah. Her father it was like a, something and had her very late in life. The the, the wife was, really was like nineteen and he was like ninety something. <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. like yeah. Diddle me this. <sighs> the pipe can still uh, the pipe can still pass fluid. So your your thing was how many uh, nuclear tests, uh, weapons tests have been performed since 1945? In the United States alone. In the United States alone, 1,054. Fucking Jesus. Yeah, Yeah, did you guys know that? What was the latest one? They stopped in like the late 90s. 1992. Yep. That's insane. They were underground testing though, I think, but... From it says it says, sp- it says uh, you know underwater as well as uh, the atmospheric and space. Well, it's like I, I I just read a fascinating book about the uh, test Abel test Baker the bikini atoll test. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god! There, yeah. Oh, it just I have this great book. It's called um, Who Can Hold the Seas, and it's from Robert Horn Fisher. Unfortunately, he's passed away. Amazing story, a naval story, and it's all about the Navy from 1945 to 1960 in the very mm-hmm. early Cold War period. And it's fascinating. But he spends a lot of time on that 45 to 47 period of like nuclear experimentation and stuff. And long story short, the Navy was like, you can't sink ships with nukes. And the, <laughs> everybody else was like, no, you can. So that's why they had the tests in bikini because they're like, can you sink a fleet? And they, they figured out that if you nuke a fleet, the sailors can operate for 48 hours, and you'll probably lose half the ships. And you're fucked. But the attrition rate will, will continually go down, and, the, yep. and it will go up. But they did find out that you can operate ships that have been irradiated, but it's going to kill the crew. So it's, yes, right, it so won't technically no sink ship. the whole fleet, but you'll kill the, you'll, yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. That's right. You get those, but, like, uh, uh, was it hard tack and woohoo uh, tests and stuff like that with the, the famous yeah. footage of the water going up with the ships around it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, well the they did the big Kwajalein test too. Mm-hmm. That's the famous one. It has the dome on it now and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because like 
again, a lot of those bombs weren't perfect. They were kind of dirty bombs because they were tests, and like they, a lot of them didn't explode right, and they spewed a lot more material out than they should have. And that was also, again, we can talk about a lot of this, but every single war correspondent memoir I have from the Pacific that ends up in Japan in September of 45 either towed the government line of, oh, there was no bad radiation, or they didn't listen to MacArthur because MacArthur tried to like, he was in charge of the Jap- of the occupation of Japan, and he basically sequestered Hiroshima and Nagasaki off from anybody. And they were like, it's fine. And all these reporters started going there. And this one guy, he ended up in Hiroshima, and he ran into a Japanese film crew from NHK, which is the Japanese like um, film news network that's still around. And they were there for three weeks before filming all the damage from Hiroshima and Nagasaki and like mm-hmm. all this crazy shit. And he just got all their footage and just told the world about it. And then they tried to cut all these guys like ties for it's a very long, crazy story. But they basically were like, oh, you know, the bombs were so hot and they exploded so much that no um, radioactive material was put into the atmosphere. Bullshit. Bullshit. And that's completely wrong. But that was the that was the government line. They said that, no, it completely combusted everything. And that's impossible and not true. And even those surveys are crazy because, like, again, I could talk this for a long time, but. They had to figure out if the bomb exploded at the right height. So they went around all the cities and they used the shadows on the lines of things. And they were able to use calculus or trigonometry or whatever and determine exactly the height of the bomb where it exploded from the shadows, the radioactive shadows that were left on things. You know, it's just, just crazy. But all those fuck guys fucking died too. <laughs> like, well, Yeah. You well, know, there's also, like... Oh, that's what I was going to say. So not to get political, but earlier we had talked about the Ukraine and everything that's going on. Um, you know, with like some Chernobyl shit, whatever. There, there's a story that's true about there was fighting, unfortunately, in the inclusion zone last year, and Russian soldiers were ordered to dig trenches over nuclear waste. And I think a whole battalion of guys got violently ill within a week, and they were sent back to Russia to some of the same hospitals that specialize in radiation that they actually treated Chernobyl patients at, and nobody really knows what happened to them. But they literally ordered them to dig in in the exclusion zone. I, like, I remember oh that. That is that is hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. That's factual. They're, that's not bullshit. That's real. yeah. It's fucking insane. And then now they say that the Russians have mined the cooling pools of Zaporizhia. But no more politics. It's just interesting how you know, eighty years after the fact, um, people still playing games of this stuff that's clearly horrible. It's not, it's not politics. It's just it's a fact of what it is, and yeah, that's why I um, controversial opinion. I oppose any kind of atomic nuclear weapons being used. I mean, unless well, let's, you wanna, let's do this. Yeah, let's get through the rest of the movie, and then then we can talk. No, about but here's the legacy. thing: is like why I oppose. I have is, an opinion. Is too. why Oppenheimer opposes this because he he knew he knew what was going to happen, and so did a lot of the other scientists and the researchers and people involved. They knew what this was going to do. And they had reservations, and they weren't allowed to just hold that nugget for like ten minutes, and then we'll come back to that. So, all right, it's seven twenty-two. Right I just want to. It's eight twenty-two here. No, I'm gonna hold it to that. I, but yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, I, 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 I got it. Yeah, because I have some points I want to talk yep, about. Good. Um, but yeah, we'll just finish up the rest of the movie. You know, um, the Trinity test is great. You know, it's really cool how I, they do. Have any of you like, guys ever been there? No. no, I no, want to go. They open it twice a year. They, um, I haven't gone, but I have friend. I have a buddy of mine. He used to w- work a lot in the government, and he got really into Trinity site. He's uh, he has like uh, 
some of the glass, you know, the sand glass that you can pick up from the Trinitite. Site. Yeah, like all that kind of stuff. And um, he's he was like really into that. But he he went in that and he always he's always giving me like a super offer. And he lives in Alaska. He's like, if you ever want to like get a full blown like know everything, just let me know and I'll try to meet you there. Um, because he's been like studying for like years. Um, yeah. It's super cool. I'll pay you back off that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, yeah, yeah. I was just curious if you guys had ever seen it because um, no, I, I've seen pictures of it, and I and I obviously want to go for my own family tie, but I just haven't. I haven't. The been. closest I've been is uh, I've been to yeah. White Sands, New Mexico. I've never been to Los Alamos. Okay, yeah, I've never so. been west of Colorado, so you know that's where I'm at. So yeah. do do you know why they chose Los Alamos? Oppenheimer had a cottage out there, and he loved it. And he was like, "Well, that's a really good place. It's secluded, so that's why they did it." <laughs> oh, just fuck it up because I love it. Well, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, well, you know, it it was it was definitely something that was a lure because my my great aunt and great uncle never left. Like they stayed hmm. in that area the rest of their lives. Well, some people love the desert. Yeah. yeah. Well, I um, I love I love deserts. I mean, I'm from it, but. Uh... I mean, I love that kind of lunar look of like when you just fly over a desert and you see that nothingness. I have yet to experience it. It's funny as that it is to say, but whatever. Um, I hear a lot of people that live there that say it's it's clean. It, it, I, I was know. just gonna say that. I was just gonna use that yeah. adjective. Like it's it's very clean. It's very yeah. um. You know what the fuck is out there? Because where I'm at, I've got corn here. I've got trees here. I've got it's it's it, it, it's chaotic, but. The desert or like, you know, semi-arid places like that, you know what it is, you know what's around you, and it's it's clean. It's like, it's easy, and actually it's not that bad. Like, it's not, as long as you can get water, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. <coughs> not too long ago, I went up through northern Idaho, which is all like giant fucking trees and, you know, big giant uh, forests and stuff. And I was complaining about it, and my girlfriend was like, it's so beautiful, don't you love it? And I'm like, yeah, but like, I want my rolling hills and sagebrush back. You know, like yeah, In the background, <laughs> Michael DeSee's panzer is taking over Tunisia. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes. so, yeah so, that's so funny you say sagebrush, and all I can think of is Red Dead Redemption 2 and collecting <laughs> See, a ton of fucking sagebrush. That yeah, sagebrush. That's my yeah. environment, yeah. Dude, it's like, because I've been to eastern Montana, like northeastern Montana, and it's the same in- environment that like Mike and I have talked about um before is it's like it's very flat just kind of rolling hills with very little vegetation or trees and then sagebrush and all that shit but it's like you can see forever and you know what's around you and um it's it's insane so mike yeah when you uh in in two weeks from now yeah (laughs) you get to see like because you've been here in the winter when there was no vegetation right but you get to see it's very vegetative great and then when we go to the crack fields of ohio and i take you to fucking new britain like you know (laughs) oh well that that's gonna be that's gonna be fucking ohio can be summed up in three words crack crime and trains (laughs) cct that's where i live (laughs) closed circuit television well no we have meth it's not crack so it's meth crime and trains. meth in the mountains that's that's the rhyme but uh, anyway no this is this is let's tie it back because the location that they chose was chosen for a reason. You got five minutes mm-hmm. before you get back to your old conversation, so we better speed it up. But, no, it's it's really amazing how it all came together, though, you know, in the end. How, again, Battle of the Bulge is happening, and they really don't have it anything working. 
And that's when they brought in some more scientists. And that is when the communist spies entered the game because the British had some scientists um, who a lot of them were ex, uh, you know, Europeans or whatever that ran away from the Nazis or the, whatever. They were communists that were working in the West and then they were scientists, whatever. But basically there was a group of scientists that came over from England that were not vetted because the Brits were like, don't worry, they're fine. And one of them was this guy named, I think, Albert Fuchs. And he ended up being the guy that gave the Soviets the bomb bit by bit over the whole course of the whole program. And uh, obviously there were a lot of other people that were involved in it too. Stalin knew about the test before they mentioned it at Potsdam, which is just insane. And within four years, they'd had their own bomb. Um, but that's where it really you know, started. As they were trying to figure out this plutonium problem, they created another problem. You know, yeah, and it's just crazy to think like basically in six months they figured out all the issues and there's a very high chance that they could have fucked up and not have made the bomb. You know, like it, obviously I hate what if history, but it's just very interesting how close they were because looking at it from afar, you're like, oh, the Manhattan Project, they were on their ball the whole time. They knew what they were doing and it's like, no, it didn't. No. They built the infrastructure really quickly. And then they just started uranium, or sorry, refining uranium for years, mm-hmm. and then enriching uranium. Wasn't, yep. Yeah. Oh, yep. Because it's a crazy process. You have to do by. They said molecule by molecule. Mm-hmm. So it exactly. takes forever, and they needed forty-five pounds. And I think to do that would take three years. And something very interesting is that, so when Germany collapsed in May of forty-five, one of the first things that we found was a lot of the German refined U two thirty-five. And we found like probably two or 300 pounds of it because they just didn't get around to using it or supposedly not all of it. And that was brought to the States and put into Fat Man that ended up being used in Japan. So there was some German elements of their nuclear program that ended up in the American nuclear Fat program. Fat Man was plutonium. Or Little Boy then. Little Boy, but yeah. It's pretty insane. There, there was a bit of, of knowledge stealing because it, it happened just at the right time where you know yeah. that could have a real impact. Um, just goes to show, you know, how close the Germans were in a way to, to doing the bomb. Well, and also, but, but before we get into that topic in two minutes, because you gave me 10, um, no, the, here's the thing is they did bring this up in the film of like, this is good for energy. You can, you can, you can take uranium and plutonium and convert it or, um, use it to convert, you know, whatever into energy electricity whatever um you can do that and we've done that obviously chernobyl is the most egregious example of a very poorly run fucking nuclear energy plant like but and then through mount island which was also that was very controlled immediately that's my fucking territory yeah but but like i don't know how the fuck i don't know if it was sabotage or whatever the conspiracies anyway there's two examples of nuclear power plants going under out of the hundreds around the world, right? So you can use this for good, and they did mention that in the film, and it's like, okay, that's cool, but they also were weaponizing. You forgot about Fukushima too. That that Fukushima was that was not that was not the fault. That was not the fault of the actual the safety system. The safety systems failed, though. That, was not a man that wasn't made. a man. That wasn't a man. But still, I mean, what are you going to blame it on? But there, well, those are the three the three nuclear power plant disasters that have occurred. Damn you, Chern- Poseidon! Chernobyl, in my opinion, this is all my opinion, 
Chernobyl was a very human fucking fuck up, right? Completely human. Through my island, I don't know if it was sabotage or whatever. So I, I, it, it happened, but it was also contained very well. Uh, Fukushima. Eh. I. What do you mean? Uh, eh. Nate, we'll talk about through my island another time. Government these, conspiracy. These, these, West, these West coasters. Look, don't know look, what to talk look. About. How do you explain me? So there you go. Anyway, next. Moving on. We got all these fucking tumors in your hair. Like <laughs> that's why you're like, losing your hair. That's yeah, why. I, yeah, like, that's why I'm losing my hair. And it's all growing out of my knuckles and everywhere else. Yeah. Listen, so my head. Think yeah. about where that river goes. Yeah. But okay. But okay. Yeah. Okay, but okay. Okay. Let me, let me, let me, anyway, let me, sorry. Let me, I didn't mean we'll to. Do, I didn't mean to. to so to, Fukushima. Yeah, it's I Pennsylvania actually, Dukies and Nate. <laughs> I don't blame anybody except the engineers that built the infrastructure around it. That's it. I don't think that was. Uh, nuclear power problem it was a because they actually did shut down most of the reactors when they knew this was happening and then they fucking beat feet and then whatever but uh, anyway so they knew at this point that this could be used for good and for killing they knew that at this point and they chose to do both what the fuck are you laughing at, Nate? I was going to say just like anime, but then the joke died, so. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't get me fucking. Anyway, so. We, only, we, we were a minute so, over your talk, so. Yes, we can jump into it now. So, no, I mean, the, the film, just to sum it up, it does a really good job of telling the whole story, you know, and uh, it's a slow burn with a big bang. That's that's really my way to, to do it. It's a little bit boring, like towards the third act, but it picks up. I, I just wish the they, they, last I, I wish minutes. they would have like cut out a lot of the unnecessary scenes to like actually show the process of how this happened, cut out, how cut the out project the happened. Cut out the fact. Yep. yep. It, it's an intellectual drama though, so it's hard. You know, it's like yep. you, you can see they tried to Hollywood it up and make it like the sports and everything. I see yep. Nate, and then like just make it. Yeah. Well, remember, remember eighty nine. You know, eighty nine, ninety Hollywood, and you know, I feel like I feel like now we're going to get that kind of picture with Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. It's just I think this movie in particular, I think it does a good job in that sense, but it is dated in its formula, and I feel like that people, yeah. the, what we want to know and what we keep talking and kind of circling the drain about is more of that in depth detail and that process because that's where we're interested, but versus. 8990 they just want a drama based around an event that everyone knows about so top five grossing films of 1989 batman indiana jones and last crusade lethal weapon 2 rain man and honey i shrunk the kids <laughs> so this is the world that this is in you know honey it's, i shrunk uh, the kids is 89 yeah yep. the very first one oh, yeah jesus yeah, the first Christ. one not not the really bad 95 one that i watched with tiki man <laughs> <laughs> oh that's the one that introduces tiki man yeah. Oh my yeah. god, dude. That's Honey I Shrunk Ourselves or whatever. No, no, no. Uh, honey, I thought that was Honey I Shrunk Ourselves is Tiki Man and the, okay. and the first one's just the kid with the the kids go around and fight the fucking, you know, uh, puppeteer ants okay. people. I never yeah. I, I I never thought I'd say this, but I got to watch that again soon. 
I just watched it like 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 a month ago. Both of them. So, yeah. It's Rick Moranis. You, you, you're going to lose either way. In Ohio. <laughs> you don't like Rick Moranis. Wait, why? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, you can't just drop a bomb on Rick Moranis. Why don't you like Rick Moranis? What is this? Nagasaki? Rick Moranis yeah. can suck yeah, yeah. a taco Taco Bell fart why? straight out of my ass. Why? Whoa. Why? Why? He's a he's a fucking Canadian nerd. He wasn't that, the commander. Wow. Okay. okay, Canadian nerds, you're hated by Mike. All right. Yes. Sorry, Devin. So yes. You, so, Sorry, Devin. so you were you yeah. were you were all for that guy who came up and sucker punched him on the street when that happened. You remember that? Yes. Yeah. Oh God, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't attack Rick Moranis. He gave up acting for his children. So okay. You can't, you um, can't. Legacy. There's a lot you have to take in consideration. There's that famous quote that you know scientists asked if they could do it why or they they wanted to do it so bad that they didn't ask why they should do it but how you know i fucked it up but (laughs) focusing on something jeff gold just says it in jurassic park yeah yeah Yeah, exactly go watch jurassic park it's a great movie so um (laughs) yes who's also got laura dern yeah yeah there you go you know There we are, our plot. As Mike but, throws uh, his microphone across the circle thing. around. It's a yep. giant yeah, spike on my wave now. Anyway. Yeah. It's a very interesting story, but I mean, my opinion can be summed up in the fact that the world was a different place after July 17th, 1945. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it was before. For a million different reasons. Um, the bomb was necessary to end the war. A thousand percent, in my opinion. The bomb saved my life. It saved my father's life. It saved anyone that was in the Pacific's lives. It saved at least 20 million Japanese lives. It was very pivotal to ending the war. And when you take in consideration what happened in the fall of 1945 and into the spring of 1946 of what would have occurred during Operation Coronet and Downfall, then you understand that it was the right thing to do. The proposed landings on Kyushu Island in November of 1945 basically happened during the same time that a massive um, typhoon struck Okinawa and destroyed Halsey's fleet. So if the invasion had gone through, half of the Marines and the Navy personnel would have been either killed or had seasickness in Okinawa before the invasions even happened. And there were more typhoons throughout the 45-46 season that just ravaged the coast of Japan and Okinawa. Secondly, the Allies were at the end of our wits. The Marine Corps was going to have to dissolve most of their air wings and two divisions to make up for projected losses in the invasions of Kyushu and the southern islands. Of, I think, no, Honshu's the north one. But the, the two main islands of the south. Mm-hmm. We were out of steam. Six years for most of the world and four years for the Americans had brought us to our very jagged edge. We were not the military that we were in 1944 or 43. We weren't that strong. Also, most of the replacements at this point were brought up from stateside schools. A lot of the army guys that ended up in the Philippines to go attack Japan were guys that literally had trained troops for four years and were pissed off that they had to go overseas now. We were an army at our wit's end. If we did go into combat with Japan, it would be worse than the worst case scenario than you could imagine. Not for just the Allies, 
but for also the Japanese home islands. So taking the whole picture into effect. And these are things that they couldn't plan for. Nobody knew that this massive typhoon would end up striking Okinawa in November. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. yes, but the bombs were necessary to end the Second World War. After the fact, that's a different case. The way that the bombs influenced culture and everything, you know, that's a different story. The Cold War is very interesting. That period, the 45 to 49 period, where the Americans are the only people in the world that can destroy anyone, and you're at our whim, you know, okay. very fascinating part of, of history. But as far as the end of the Second World War is concerned, <clears throat> all the statistics and facts, we needed the bombs to end the war. And that's just the truth of the matter. The, the, one, the one thing that I will, I will chime in on this is that uh, I am of the same belief as well. I think one of my f- most, like, fervorous debates ever in college was why we needed to use it. Um, and one of the things, not to repeat everything Brian said, but even more than that in just two aspects is that one, I believe, if you look at the island hopping campaigns and you look at the estimations from the United States intelligence of like what it would take to capture said island or yep, said yep. casualties, they were almost always ho- horribly underestimated. And they were almost always were quadruple, if not more than that, the amount of casualties and the amount of days it took. If you take, let's use Iwo Jima as or even okinawa as a example of how dug in everyone is more of Jima than okinawa but okinawa is a different kind of thing i can't even imagine how in, entrenched a japanese force and especially an I, a japanese ideology would be in japan a uh, japan homeland invasion not to mention that the intelligence had estimated i think a million casualties was their yeah. estimate for invading Japan as a whole. Yep. So yep. I, not to repeat everything, but I wholly, hardly agree with Brian in that. It's like, yeah, you know, hindsight 2020, just World War II alone, I feel like it is, it what was the shock and awe to force a quit because it just would have been just horrible. I don't like what it brought on for the rest of the world and the rest of our lives and the problems we face now. That's a whole different conversation, but that alone is, I think, the reasoning why I think it was needed. So, yes, I, I've I've heard the same numbers and everything, and like, yeah, the estimates and the percentages and everything like that. Um, I understand. I I, I totally get why they made the decision to do that. But as Brian said earlier, the Japanese military was, and the the people themselves were fucked at this point. They were starving. They had minimal to no resources. Either our intelligence failed or we learned it ex poso facto, right? Um, Okinawa, I think, here's what I think happened is Okinawa was so fucking brutal and so disgusting. And it was just such a hellacious um, resistance from the what remained of the Japanese, the IJA and the IJN and everything, um, that 
the U.S. government and the U.S. military, the higher-ups, said, well, this is how it's going to be on the Japanese mainland if we invade. And then all these numbers come up, they're projected and everything, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that the numbers on both sides would have been what they projected because they based it on previous battles when there was a, a just Brian, this is a good no, thing. We're good. Just, no, I know. Yeah. I know. Okay. So I, I don't think that those were necessarily accurate because of, I mean, honestly, the allies did not know how many people and how many supplies and what resources the Japanese had. So I get that. But, um, Little little fun fact I'll throw in here. Did you know that um, every Purple Heart since World War II that's been uh, awarded by American troops uh, in whatever conflict were minted before the invasion of Japan that was predicted? Yep, uh, they made a million Purple Hearts. They, no, they made more than a million. They made they made a metric fuckload. Uh, a few million and those are still being awarded to Iraq and Afghanistan and like whatever the hell conflict we're fucking in right now they're still being awarded and they were minted in 1945 so I think my opinion is that they overestimated what it would have taken to actually hit Japan with combined forces and do a land invasion I think they thought that it was just going to be a wholesale slaughter. And, it, you know, here's the thing is it, it very well could have been. I'm not saying that it couldn't have been. I'm saying I think they jumped the gun on using these kind of weapons. Um, I don't want to say prematurely because it wasn't premature. It was very quick. But, like, I, I think uh, they jumped the gun for the future using these weapons to try to end this in a different way than they could have otherwise done. And I know it's very controversial. I've, I've had this discussion on live streams before on, on my YouTube channel and people are like, Oh, you fucking, you, you unpatriotic piece of shit. And it's like, whatever you can say what you want, but like, that's just my opinion. Uh, because I do know, yeah, like hindsight's 2020. And I do know what happened after that, what it triggered, what the world went, like the, the, the route, the world went down, but even at the time, if you were just taking all that shit out, I, I, I think that that was jumping the gun, if it makes sense. So first off, fuck anybody that says you're not patriotic. That's patriotism has nothing to do with this. this oh is no, fact. no, I don't this care about history. those comments. Yeah. No, fuck. I know. Yeah, but I'm yeah. just saying, first off, there's, there's no reason. Thank God America killed Sergeant the Sergeant Gork was an amazing person. <laughs> oh, my Lord. No, it's... I don't have it on hand, but there's a very fascinating book I read this year. It's called Commanding the Pacific War, and it's all about USMC generals and stuff. And at one point, they talk about how they're pretty sure the math that they did was wrong for the invasion of Japan. It was 20% too light of casualties. They, they actually would have probably been more than what they were doing the math for. And Okinawa was a very flawed campaign. It was run by General Bruckner, who was a piece of shit, literally a piece of shit, who just who fucked up the Attu campaign, and then he went down to New Guinea. And you know how well the U.S. Army did in New Guinea, the and great, then he ended yeah. up commanding these troops on Okinawa. And the more you read about the battle, the more you found out that he was literally just 
throwing American soldiers into artillery for no reason. There were tons of times where they wanted to outflank the Japanese on the coast, which was the Japs actually did. The Japanese actually did at Bataan and everything, you know, to try to flank the Americans and stuff. Um, they kept trying to do the Okinawa and they kept getting rejected. So Okinawa is a very bad case study because it was very bad leadership. And the guy ended up getting killed. There literally was an order before the battle saying that from Nimitz saying that you're not allowed to have any like insignia on your helmets at all. And he had huge bright white stars on his helmet. And the day he was killed, he was standing on top of a hill overlooking Japanese positions in the sunlight. And they're pretty sure that his fucking stars glinted. He was also next to a battery of Shermans that were firing. But still, that's what attracted the fire. So would you not say that the, the higher-ups that were not there saw well, the stats and made a decision based upon that? Well, no. What I'm saying is that, first off, you cannot use Okinawa as a basis for the Battle of Japan. Because it just was a very bad well, Okinawa was in Japan. campaign. It's, it's the southernmost island in Japan. Well, it's actually part of the Ryukyu Islands, which traditionally wasn't part of Japan until the 1840s, but anyway. Yeah. So at yeah. this time, it was part of Japan, but um, you can't really use it as a case study. They were at the time, but Iwo Jima is a better case study because it was much more... Okay. It was the biggest, you know, the Japanese called them attrition battles, where after Tarawa, it was, you know, you yeah. fucking bleed them dry. Yep. That's what you do, yep. Yep. you know? And so they would have these attrition battles, you know, and they kept getting worse and worse and worse. But Okinawa is this really funny case study of very bad generalship and <laughs> yeah. very heavily defended. Bruckner is just an asshole. Read about him on Atsu and you'd be like, why did this guy exist? Why did he get fucking so many Marines and army guys killed for no reason two years later? But I digress. My grandfather was Okinawa too, so I have some feelings. Make a movie um, about that guy. But one day. But anyway, um, he'll walk into a mortar show. But what do you call it? Um... No, it seems it seems that they actually the casualty reports they were saying for the invasion of Kyushu and the the proper island or the the home islands of Japan were too light in 1945. Looking at them now with the Japanese perspective and the US perspective, there probably would have been 1.25 million casualties instead of 1 million. The projections were too light. But so, how, how, how can how can either side or anybody definitively say that? Just by looking at all the history and all the, the projections, Again, though, if you, right? If you want to know more about the subject, you got. I'm not, I'm not challenging. Don't. Oh, I know. You, I'm also paraphrasing. That. I'm not challenging but, you. Yeah. I'm just questioning. I'm just no, questioning. So, but that's the thing. You know, it's there's so many fucking factors you have to take in consideration, but. The biggest one is that you can't deny if you really look at the history is that the West could not sustain a campaign to take all of Japan. We just couldn't. It, we were at our wit's end. Could Japan, like the, could, well, could the Japanese have put up an, an adequate defense though in the in, in the state that they were in? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The plan was was to basically have the Marines form a small bridgehead and then all the forces in Kyushu would attack it. If all the forces on an island throw their weight into two or three divisions of a bridgehead, it's going to collapse. There were 25 million armed men on Kyushu. Armed and with what, though? Also, well, you've seen last Tichara sagas. They were piling up fucking everywhere. Um, the other thing, too, is that the argument is that you know Nagasaki was a huge port. It was a very important yeah. military yep. thing. You know, They made the Yamamoto, the Mushashi, 
a bunch of other very important Japanese battleships mm-hmm. and yep. ships there. You know, it was it was a naval station, and even Hiroshima was a huge military hub for the yep. area. You know, you can compare these things to Dresden, or Hamburg, or any of the really bad bombing campaigns. Yep. Obviously, atomic weapons are are different category, but it was what was needed to end the war. We were at our very limit of offensive capabilities. Even though it doesn't seem like that because we won. We we stopped just short of what would have showed the deficiencies of the Allies. Right. And, you know, then we're thrust into a world where America, for four years, had the thing that no one else had. In 1949, the Cold War officially starts. So. Right. And so, yeah, the, the argument also is, you know, the Soviets, they would have gotten it. You know, at the same time, you know, because they were researching and everything. And um, there might have been Fuchs, more losses, but, like, I don't know. Fuchs was of the idea that the guy that was the communist that gave the, the Russians, it, was that he thought that if one person has a monopoly on it, then they could hold the whole world yeah. um, at their will, which is true to a point. But having two sides with the same weapon is even worse because now it's mutually assured destruction. Not saying that Correct. one is better than the other, but, like, no, you know, exactly. It just, it's this yeah. whole whole can of worms. And, and so, you know, outside yeah. of the 45 perspective of the use of nukes definitely is wrong. And every single centimeter, millimeter, millimeter of this planet has been touched by radiation since July 17, 1945. Yeah. Steel production is a very big open air style of production. You cannot use steel that was made after 1945 in medical equipment because it will throw off all of the very important medical instruments. Pre-45 steel is an amazing commodity that is very rare and very expensive to the point where scrappers are stealing warships all across the Pacific to get pre-45 steel. This bomb, the whole time of program, has infected humans, animals, Everywhere from Antarctica to China to Europe with background radiation that is four times higher than July 17th, 1945. Mm -hmm. We live in a completely different age. Yes. Every single part of this planet has been touched by radioactivity or, you know, substances in some way, shape, or form since July 1945. So definitely is a Pandora's box. Oh, it definitely, it definitely was. It definitely changed yep. everything, and it's propelled us to where we are now. But in the context of August 1945, it was justified. In my opinion. I respect your opinion. I, I do understand it. I just, I'm always going to be the odd man out. Like, out of every 10 Americans that you interview that actually know the history of it and whatever and like all that shit i just i'm, I'm maybe the one there, that the, the one outlier there was well mike you're obviously not patriotic court. enough so. oh boy uh, well, why don't you tell me if you're such a patriot why don't, why don't you, you tell you me, tell me? <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there's a great like, when i wish the governor of minnesota there's a they took a poll Sorry, say, there's a great like three-hour video on YouTube that uh, discusses this very thing. Uh, I should say. Yeah, and there, there's a billion of them and everything, and um, I've I've caught a lot. I've caught a lot of flack on live streams uh, mm-hmm. for 
saying what I just said, and um, it's behind every blade is a rifle. Well, that that was bullshit. He never said. No, that. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it. Behind every blade of grass, <laughs> there is a rifle. Yeah. So here's a great quote from the War Beat Pacific. Very great book about reporting the Pacific. When reporters interviewed returning veterans, they found little sympathy for the enemy. I only hope we can get a load of them bombs, announced one spokesman for a large group of Southern California veterans. And use them quickly. Those people who are raising objections because of the destructive power don't know what is going on in the world. And if they could see what the Japs are doing to our American boys, they wouldn't do any kicking. Truman proposed another justification. The Japanese, he declared, began the war from the air in Pearl Harbor, and they had been repaid manifold. Only 5% of respondees to a poll in 1945 opposed the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And a significant minority wished the United States had dropped more A-bombs on the Japanese. Mm -hmm. I like that though because it's like this, those guys who say that sort of thing like you know we need to have a, we need to use tons of those bombs like they don't know anything about radiation <laughs> you know they didn't know what the fuck any of that was no idea nobody yeah. did again well it was so hot it, it burned up all the radioactive material in, in the atmosphere so there's nothing <laughs> right. it's like lie right you know that's the thing is also, also trying to stop the truth again also dude <laughs> we have been involved in the war and for four fucking years and we've been losing a lot of guys and the the, the world just seemed like it was fucking turning up it's like okay we've got this Oh, let's just drop more to just end this. And I get the sentiment. I honestly do. Like I understand it. It's not that I'm just one-sided and I don't I don't understand, but it's like I don't know, Truman had to make the ultimate decision to drop those bombs. He was the one that had to sign off on it, and I don't know I I, I just I I, I And thank it, God he had the balls 5 years later to go tell MacArthur to fuck himself when he said if we drop 17 bombs along the Yalu River, we will make a nuclear corridor where the Chinese can't attack us through North Korea. That was MacArthur's plan. Yeah. I can look it up. That's real. Right. That's no, no, real. no. And that's the thing is like, like, here's the thing is like, it's it's just, again, like, like you said earlier, it opened Pandora's box. Literally. It's, it, it brought us into an entirely new existence, Right. Like, like you said, there's radiation in literally everything. And then how many tests have they done since then that they, okay, they're underground. A lot of them, most of them were in the ocean, but that's just the United States as well. If you look at how many fucking nuclear tests and atomic tests have been done and it's like well, China, India, um, United States, Soviet Union, Israel in quotes, um, Pakistan, the other nuclear nations. Oh, that's right. Fucking. That's a great one. And Pakistan, North Korea. France. Oh, yep. The yeah. UK. Mm hmm. So there's seven, I think there's eight nations that have. I'd love to, to learn about the Soviet Union. I know they had, uh, they were the ones who did the Tsar Bomba. And, uh, yep. Yeah. Yes. So it's mm -hmm. like. Open the Arctic Circle, but yep. still the radiation. I have a good documentary on that. I'll send it to cool. you. That fucking thing. Some cool ones. That mm -hmm. biggest explosion you ever. Can, there's a website yep. you can put into. Uh, you, you put in location. You can pick the bomb of what of, of what you want to detonate in that location. You can see the effective areas of that thing. So if you really want to like make yourself super paranoid, not sleep for a day. There you go. Take it up the next notch, Nathan. Mm. After the Cold War ended, all the Soviet targets came out, and because my state was so heavily DOD. Yeah, no way. <laughs> totally saturated. Same with me, every yeah. fucking corner. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. The DC to like Boston corridor, 
Nope. And then it, it goes to Chicago. Little Pennsylvania's okay. And then it goes all the way to the new facilities like in Idaho. All up in your territory. Oh, nice. Like Nebraska, <laughs> yeah. South Dakota. Well, if we, you if you really look in at the, it, in the early there 60s. Was, there was an ICBM silo in my hometown, like just south of my hometown. Really? In the early yeah. 60s in uh, eastern Idaho, there was a uh, like a little Chernobyl uh, with a reactor core uh, like malfunctioned. Three guys, yeah. Three guys got, yeah. SL two or yeah, SL something, and um, it's because they were they didn't know what they were doing or something. I I read well, there's some crazy, um, the control rods in it had to be done manually, you couldn't do it like you had Mm -hmm. to, like, you had to do it with your hands. And the guy who was doing it just like shoved it all the way in and just, (laughs) (laughs) no, 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 it was the opposite. He pulled it, it it got jammed, he pulled it all the way out. The the control rods Mm because control rods kill the the reaction. And he pulled it way too far out, and the entire thing just like vaporized inside and ki- it killed him because all the steam shot out, you know, and uh, and killed them instantly. Made a poison. One cold. of the guys was that one of the control rods came up into the guy's crotch and pinned him to the ceiling, like that's let yeah. off some steam, Bennett. <laughs> uh. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, back to the film. Well, well, for you guys that are listening, we went on a fucking tangent. Yeah. But this, well, this, this is what is we what do. This is what we do. When you yeah. talk, this is a subject that you have to talk about. Yeah. Like, it's, has it's their own a, opinion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, so you have to, yeah. it's a very deep and uh, very impactful subject. And this was a film that tried to convey the first known test of an atomic weapon. You know, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's all this shit do, does tie in and it's like, it's so fucking terrifying. Like, think about it nowadays. We have, the world has the power to kill everything. We don't Quickly. need an asteroid anymore. We don't need a fucking comet to fucking hit us. We can there, do it ourselves. There are some amazing Cold War movies about realities of mad you mutually assured destruction there's one from the 60s that the name escapes me but it's about um it's an english one and it's about what happens there's the one in america the day after tomorrow uh or wait am i getting that wrong or oh shit it's from the late 80s it was a big one but the very famous one that everyone needs to watch is threads it's the british one that's fucking insane like it just it's 90 minutes and it shows people going about their day and then you know you have four minutes before when the the you know you get the warning and it strikes and it's just insane. It shows like what will actually happen. And the craziest part that I loved is there's all, so tensions are building, whatever, you know, people are starting to get, there might be something. And there's this town council that they go into their bunker underneath the, the town hall to get ready to communicate. So if something happens, well, the bomb strikes, they're stuck there. Oh, there's no communication. I don't know. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. But no, they're, they're trapped Yeah, and they die because they can't escape. From their bunker. So the rest of the, these people are dealing with Holocaust and everything. And the people that are in the position and have the stockpile to do the thing when the thing happens are literally crushed to death yep. <laughs> and can't save themselves. So it's like even from the very beginning, and there's a great part. There's a guy like, you know, on the toilet who like is like just using the bathroom and gets killed. It's, it's just interesting. And it yeah. just goes to show, you know, that the world that was created from these two bombs is a fucking nightmare. But it's, it's, it's just reality. It's, it's absolutely, um, it's terrifying. But like, I don't live in fear of that because it's like, you know, 
if it does happen, we're all fucked. And yeah, like you said, four minutes. Like where I'm at, like if they hit the target in the cities that are, you know, about an hour west of me, yeah, I'll survive the initial blast, but I'm gonna give I'm gonna be fucked by radiation because of the way the wind goes, it's gonna blow it over to me. And I know that. And it's like I've accepted that, but it's like Jesus Christ, man. Have like, you have you have you read the book Where the Wind Blows? Or when the wind blows? No. It's about it's a it's done in the style of a children's book, but it's about this uh, old couple uh, experiencing that. Where uh, it's written in like I think the seventies or something, and it's a uh, uh, nuclear fallout happens, but because of their thought, because of their lack of knowledge on the whole thing, they just kind of sit there and slowly die from the exposure. Yep, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's one of the yeah, threads even gets into the that saddest books you could ever read. Um, right. And at the end, they're like, you know, radiation will not leave the human placenta for 700 years. We'll be in a, like a fucking middle ages and everything. It's crazy. The American one was called the day after. And that one was so insane. Like I have a friend that was growing up at the time and they showed it in school and they had to like get a waiver signed and they had like told the parents about it, what they were doing. And, you know, it was a very big thing. This is the age of um, the Wolverines, you know, and, yep. and like uh, that, Red, you know, Red just Dawn. the craziness of, the, yeah, Abel Archer, 83, like the 80s, I mean, it, obviously, um, the Cuban Missile Crisis was a very, very close point of destruction in the Cold War. But in reality, the 80s was way more closer to the brink than the 60s was, especially with Abel Archer in 83 and yep. everything. It's, do you remember that it's bomber crazy. that had, what was it? It, it didn't have like a nuclear didn't have like a nuclear bomb and it almost like went down or it crashed and but the bomb didn't go off or something. What oh yeah, <gasps> I forgot where it was, but yeah, yeah, in the U.S. Yeah. South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's crashed, another bomb that's missing like off the coast. Yeah, one crashed in somebody's house and they recovered it. It didn't have a detonator in it, and the other one crashed in the ocean. They don't know where it is. Oh, I didn't hear about that. No, that's funny. Oh, yeah, it's it's it's. There's one missing off the coast of Georgia. You would think after all this time, we would have some way to locate it at this point. Robert Ballard. The reason he found the Titanic was because he was on an operation to find out where the nuclear torpedoes were from the USS Thrasher, which was a submarine that had a very unfortunate series of events that um, imploded because it went too uh, or too deep in the water on its test dive, and it had nuclear torpedoes on it. And he actually was paid by the Navy to find it, and. The deal was is that he would have some time to look for the Titanic because he wasn't that far away, and they gave him a week to find it, and he found it. <laughs> so kind and, of I, and I remember that was that was the whole cover for him why he found it was because yeah, yes, so. it was all they tied did, in they together. They didn't want the Soviets mm-hmm. to know that they had lost yeah. a nuclear sub. Yep. Can we go verb? But, so yeah, um, I think we now have made it to final thoughts because there's well, there's an IMFTB, but it's uh, the bomb. So there it is. Anyway, so. <laughs> I mean, there are some tanks in this, and, and the originally they did use tanks as well for like just for the armor to stay inside while they were doing tests. Um, you know, they didn't use the cannons or anything. But um, oh, and Nate too. I, I looked into some cool history. Mm-hmm. They had some really amazing camera rigs. They had like five IMOs on oh, like a two by four. Um, yeah, and they would so, film stuff. Hold on. And... Let me show you this picture real quick. Um, I was gonna show you off pod, but hold on. Ooh, very cool. That's the guy who was the head of the. Uh, uh photography yeah for the for that but that was his uh that was his rig rig. and he made them he specially made high speed mags yeah he specially made um let me just read this for you uh with high speed cameras he designed and built 
It was used for photographing explosion experiments. Damn. So I know there's so high speed there's, cameras in the film age. So there's one photo that a guy took. It's for the right exposure rate for the Trinity test. And that's the famous color one that we all see. Right. Everybody else was like, happened so fast. They fucked up their cameras. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my, um, well, my great uncle had said, and then we'll, we'll jump into that. He had, he commented on the explosion as well. Um, it was here at the end where it says, um, he said, um, my initial reaction was that it was the end of the world. The light was so brilliant. You had to put your hands up in front of your eyes, but your eyes were still burning. Hmm. There's some stories from the tests that they did um, in Bikini Atoll because they, in the late 40s, as crazy as they sound, they tried to temper soldiers to the use of atomic weapons on battlefields. So they would bring them to these tests and they would have them lie down and do all the you know things and protect themselves so they get used to it. And it fucked up these guys. Like people would have panic attacks and cry. Like, and they said the biggest thing is that you would put your hands in front of your eyes and close them. And that you, because the x rays, you could see your fingers, uh, and like it, your bone structure. Uh, we're and probably thinking of the same documentary. It's just the ones the guys on the ship. Well, there's two of them. So there's, there's the British had a, um, a lot of tests, and that was the documentary I saw that from. But part of the Bikini Atoll test and stuff, unfortunately, during one of the tests, there was a bunch of over or what is it um fallout that went a different way and it fell on all these guys who were destroyer men a destroyer escort men and there's this great documentary from the late 80s and there's this guy in it who they're filming from like my perspective it's right here you know i was in the de whatever i was part of the tests and it's a good 45 minute documentary and they pan out at the end his fucking thighs are the size of elephant trunks and he's got elephantitis and he's dying of this horrible fucking cancer and he's like, yeah, you know, fucking we got covered in the white foam and everything. And it's like, happened a lot. A lot of servicemen, unfortunately, were ex- exposed to this. And, you know, nuclear vets is the thing. That that 45 to 50 or 60 period where they still did the open pit tests and everything. Yeah. You know, a lot of the guys got affected by it, like we were saying. So, so we've gone on long enough. Yep. Um, final thoughts. Who wants to go first? Uh, Nate, because you're connected it. to the project. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll Nate, go. go, go ahead. I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep it, I'll keep it quick, because you know it's, it's the same thing I had at the end of this film, and it's, just, I think, it was some of my hesitation of even talking about, or, or how I felt about why I, I didn't feel, I felt biased. It's not that I don't feel biased about. It. I've, I've realized it now is I, I feel fucking depressed. <laughs> you know, like like going through it and and just realizing that you know that has it it is it, a very 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 huge subject to undertake and talk about without being conflicted by personal beliefs by by this by that by for me having you know my own view of the whole in time but understanding the path that took the world it has taken the world down and the constant conflict you know one of the things i constantly say when we when uh not to get political, as we always say, but, you know, when the Ukraine-Russian conflict and all the whole NATO-Russian standoff, it's like, God, I wish, this sounds naive to say, but it's like, I wish nuclear weapons were not on the table at all. I wish they just didn't exist because this would just be so fucking cut and dry. You know, they're unprepared. They fucking suck. The amount of stuff, tech that we have is great, blah, blah, blah. And that's not because I'm biased, but because just cut and dry. But then you have this fucking, like, boogeyman that's like, well, if you don't fucking do this, we're going to fucking bomb. 
And it's like, fuck, you know. So to take all that aside, but talking about the movie itself, I mean, I am in all of what my of what my family connections did on the project. I am in all of what I learned, unfortunately, post uh, my great uncle's death. Um, I was like 14 when he died. Um, so I wasn't really quite aware of the levity that he did. And then my great aunt, um, my, my grand who, who just unfortunately died a few years ago, it's like, I wasn't very close to that side. So I didn't really kind of, I didn't really get to have the chance to talk to him about this stuff. And unfortunately now I have to do it, you know, through textbooks and kind of, you know, dive into my own kind of, you know, interest into it. And it's very, very interesting to see the people that were willing to dive into the unknown to tackle this phenomenon that they were hoping that would end the suffering in their sense or in their way of, of doing that. But, you know, I think the only person kind of realizing the toll was, you know, obviously Oppenheimer, whether that was 2020 hindsight, post harmlessly, whatever. I feel like he was the only one who kind of knew that. And I, and I, and I think, um, I, I don't know. It's just, it felt very powerful, even though the movie itself may not be that precise in everything it does. I think it nails it down pretty well. Um, I didn't feel like it was a, I don't feel like it's a waste of a movie at all. It has its flaws. It's 1989. It's pacing is a little slow. Uh, the third act always kind of drags on the effects are before ILM, which you can't judge it on that. But it's, it's, again, another reminder of why ILM and Jurassic Park 93 was so great. So you don't have matte painting on goggles. Um, yeah, I saw that But, too. you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, and, you know, and then, you know, light a cigarette, but you're going. <laughs> so, you know. Mac but, and cheese. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I really, <laughs> I really, god damn it, I just caught that. I really, I really uh, enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to give it, but it didn't blow me out of the water e either, you know? So I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it an eight point. I'm going to give, I'm going to give an eight out of 10 Screamo Gibsons. I, I think it deserves that. Um, until Oppenheimer potentially blows it out of the water in terms of just more development. But, uh, I think that's where Oppenheimer is going to succeed is, getting a lot more in depth than the 1989 drama drama uh formula so uh mike a yeah um i uh like i say entertaining um you know and uh yeah some of the i don't know some of the love story things are kind of eh, but uh you know as we as we've mentioned before when it comes to some of these kinds of films uh of this time you know and and such those liberties that are taken. But um, overall, I thought it was pretty good at, uh, you know, it kind of simplified, you know, version of the story, if you want to say that, of the actual thing. And um, yeah, I'm glad I saw it. So uh, I'm not going to go on as long as Nate did, but uh, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, what a prick. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 7.5. Sorry, it's not that I don't have as much. This it's just that I was, when I was listening, to him, I'm like, I mean, make... his relative didn't help destroy the world, right? Yeah, so, so you know. 
Anyway. Probably like, it's probably my only movie I'll actually have a family connection for, you dick. <laughs> I'm not criticizing you. I'm just stating the fact. <laughs> you should, also, be, you should also, be very proud of your family trying to destroy the fucking earth. Also, your mic did this wonderful thing where you're like, yeah, I'm going to give it a 7.5. Nice, yeah. <laughs> that was a good replication That's of what that. it sounds yeah. like, huh? Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, got yeah. some gain. It's a it's the audiologist. Too. It's got some gain problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Brian, let us know. Yeah, there's not a lot more I could say about this movie. I mean, um, it definitely has some farb. The Jeep is completely fucking wrong. They all use all the time. I was, like was going to actually ask you about that. Yeah, but yeah, it's really hard for me to judge this movie on that shit because it's not about that. And I yeah. that might be contradicting like the reason of this podcast, but in this. The story and the facts are way more important than the gear because the, it doesn't matter. I hate the fact I see a fucking 50s Jeep every time that it should be a 40s Jeep. And they probably just did that because it, it runs, you know? It's what they can um, But, yeah. I mean, the other vehicles look great. And the sets look really nice, too. I mean, they had two Stewarts and everything. Like, there's a lot of work went into it. Like, you know, very good work. They, um, they set off a nuke? I mean. <laughs> it was mats. Yeah. But, um. No, I like it, and it's funny. I, I did like the pacing, even though it was slow at times, but I love how the music ties into the story and that you might be doing this thing in La La Land, but stuff's happening other places that's influencing what's going to happen in your world. So it's a, it's very interesting how connected it is. And there's so many little cool things in it, like just how uh, they go to talk in, in the planes and they just turn the engine on, you know, like the little things to security yeah. and stuff. I thought that was really yep. cool. And um, it's a good movie. It, it's worth a watch. And... I really, I cannot wait to see Oppenheimer. It seems like that's going to be an amazing movie, just from whatever we, what we've all heard. And I really hope that it's a good film in its own right, but I don't want that to negate what this film has done. You know, like, it's going to blow it out of the water completely. But I think it's going to be such of a different type of a movie that this one will still stand on its own legs, you know? So it's, for what they attempted to do, they cast a great film to tell an interesting story. And... Because of that, I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. It does have its little things. It is late 80s, but it's very solid, and it's a really good watch. You know, it's you learn something about it, and you walk away like, fuck, I'm not going to play with plutonium and two screwdrivers. No, no, that's not for me. <laughs> it it so. blows my mind that that's how they were tweaking it, by the way. Like, just, again. Tickling the that's tail. What, that's Sam what happened. So. with nuclear Sam, yeah. 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 Even if they, there's a plaque. Even if they wore protective gear, like, they're still fucked. Yeah. Like there's a there's a plaque for him. Um, he was he's the first nuclear casualty of the Cold um, Harry Jacklin, so, the American casualty. I believe. Yeah. So and I think is it was that, October of forty five. Is that how who they best based their character? Uh, well, well. Because um, didn't you say he didn't exist? Well, uh, yeah. The uh, the John Cusack character is based on mostly Louis Slotin and Harry Daglin, both who died from that same experiment. That that they both died the same way. Oh, yeah. that's right. The the other guy, yeah, the other guy died at a different. Harry Daglin incident. died. I don't think he was involved um, with the first doing one. it, but he had uh, titanium bricks when he was doing. They kind of combined both the tests in this, where they have the beryllium core yeah. and then the bricks around it. When Harry Daglin did mm -hmm. it, he was doing it with bricks, and he dropped one of the bricks on the pile and went critical. Mm -hmm. And he he went, oh shit, just like in the movie, and like grabbed it and. And that fucked him. There's a famous, Oof. there's a famous photo where his hand is like the skin is coming off it. Oh, um, yeah. And then Lewis Slaughton mm -hmm. was the one who did it with the screwdriver, and I think that was just a case where it was again he just fucked up and it fell down, and again it went critical, and um, and, and he was dead. You know, just like it, it, like a, 
like a month later or something. They all describe, like even in the incident you talked about in Idaho, I remember they all talk about that shining, shivering blue the, light. Yeah, the, the ionizing of, like, of the air. Yeah. Sub. They do, yeah, they do yeah, have that yeah, in the film, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, that's but this, that's what you always get with, with that's subcritical. A real thing. That's not, like, that's you not know, Hollywood. That's, yeah, yep. that's, that's what really mm-hmm. happens. Yeah, it's if fucking insane. If you ever look up, uh, look up footage, you can go onto YouTube and look up when they turn on a nuclear reactor when it's submerged in water. You can see that boom, that blue glow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Huh. It's called the um, Cherenko effect, I think. I forgot what it's called. Really random, and then it's your turn, Birch. Uh, I walked into a nuclear reactor by accident once. It was at a decommissioned plant Glad in Long Island, <laughs> and we were we were playing. We had this. It was insane. They used it as an air once in its whole life. They were going to sell it, whatever. They use it for an airsoft game. <laughs> it was in the middle of January, and I dressed as a fucking uh, Russian from Chernobyl, or sorry, from uh, Chechnya, from like the nineties. We fucking did this in. And I got lost. I was wearing the fucking big, like, Sean's Russian, like, big mop boots they used in Chechnya. And I'm, like, walking through. It's a little, like, CQB suits. And then I'm, like, where am I? And I turn my flashlight on, and I'm, like, that's the reactor pool. <laughs> Fuck. It was pretty insane. But it was this, like, huge, like, huge facility. And, like, we went all the way up on top of the reactor. And, like, the control room was so cool. It was built in, like, in the 70s. Oh, my God. It was, was fucking old, uh... awesome. Like, Steel paneling, uh, control panels and stuff. I love yeah, stuff. like <laughs> it literally looked like through my yeah. island and everything. And like, obviously, everybody got up there. The first thing you did was just like Chernobyl. Oh, picking up all the phones. Where's and shit, the AZ you know? five button? <laughs> yeah. What was crazy is that there was scaffolding to get around the reactor because it's basically a giant reactor, and then there's a, a building built mm. around it. And it was January. It was 19 degrees, and it was raining. And the fucking like you know scaffolding to get up and down the sides of it was all oh. ice. And obviously, you know, it's like. You're going to die. And then, <laughs> you know? then Brian's super villain story was born when he slipped and fell I, into a nuclear pool reactor wearing Chechnyan boots. Where the boots for, fused with his DNA, he became the Chechnyan. The oh, Chechnyan cunt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, no, for, for gear nerds out there, it was the Soviet like NCB boots with VSR-93, um, 6B5, vest and a spear helmet with an AK-74S. So it's pretty fucking dope, you know. Cool. I got a photo of me with the spear on in the reactor, so it's pretty dope. But, uh, Birch, what do you got to say? First of all, fucking... <laughs> it cannot be beat. Fucking dope, you know. Fucking dope, yeah, dude. Yeah, fucking, fucking dope. It's almost as good as a... Yeah, it's almost as schmack. nice as a fucking cold-cut sandwich, you know. Yeah, nice gabby cool, you know. We're, we're in the yeah. fucking Bronx, so... Fucking how you I gotta doing, make this know? one quick before I get shot or bit by a rat. <laughs> so. A get bigger than your sister's ass. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Manhattan Project... <laughs> Touche. Too fucking shit. Touche. Touche. Um, no, it was... um. Again, I don't I don't know much about like the actual um, Manhattan Project itself, except for like the basic bitch shit that I know, you know, about just about everything. Uh, but um, no, it was it was cool to like see the characters portrayed as real people and whatnot, or you know, kind of in that sense. Um, I thought I just thought they could have done a lot more with the actual, uh, like I was saying, like the actual operation and how it went down instead of like. Wasting time on the love stories and shit like that, and like the background shit, um, and making Oppenheimer a little bit more close to how he actually was, who was a very high functioning autistic dude, in my opinion. Um, but besides that, it was cool. Like it got the message across of like, 
yeah, I mean, people that are working on this, the secrecy and everything, like with the military and, okay, we're doing this. That that was okay. But, um, yeah, it was, honest to God, this film was very slow and, like, it didn't, like, capture my attention. Like, even a lot of films do that I'm, like, not interested in, but, like, it, it can still hold my attention. So, um, long story short, it was interesting, cool. They could have trimmed a lot of the fat. And um, I'm going to give her a whopping uh, six, 6.5 out of 10. Decent. So, putting all the scores into the computer that will tell us if Oppenheimer was right and that he is now Death Destroyer of Worlds, we get 7.3 out of 10. So definitely solid movie that's worth watching. Yeah. Yep. Now, something I did find out um, today, actually, as I was doing some research on this, is that this movie didn't do well at all in the box office. And it got a lot of bad reviews. Um, Roger Eberts, if I'm getting that right, the very famous yep. guy, he gave it like a 1.5 stars out of 10 and said that they took a very serious high drama story and just made it Hollywood funny. That's and, well, not funny, but... I don't know. It's like they made I don't it Hollywood. Know. I, I, it was a thirty million dollar budget, and they got back four million. Thirty million. Well, in the eighty nine. Remember. Um, Wait, hold so on. So it's probably hold like on, sixty on. million Re- hold today. On. Repeat that again. Thirty million. And they only made four. Yes. That's oh. a lot of fucking. That's a lot of money spent and not a lot of money made. Well, who? I wonder when in eighty nine this came out actually. Because if it came out after the wall, who's gonna give a shit? So if it's gonna came out. On any of the movies that came out in '89, that also might have to be something with it as well. October twentieth, interesting. Yeah, I mean that's that's a weird release for a fucking drama. But I, I can see that though because, like, like I was saying, is it, it months before the wall came down? So, like, the tail end of the Cold War. Sorry. Yeah, no, like I can see that though. Like, it doesn't surprise me to be honest because it's. I actually agree with Roger Ebert's uh, statement on that because they they could have done so much more with the subject matter, right? And they chose to just, again, have a lot of just shit that you don't really need to make it relevant. And that's, that's the thing is, like, it, it could have been a lot better. And me giving it a 6.5 is very gracious because it was it was well-acted. Very well that, acted. That, that that to me, I think, is why I give it. I gave it an eight because mm-hmm. I I I will not lie. There is some bias with it. It's the only yep. movie, to my knowledge, that I know of about about, about the Manhattan Project. About yes. the Manhattan Project yep. as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And you know, we're going to get Oppenheimer, which is going to replace that. But you know, it, it just is going to be very interesting to see what falls with it. With it being. Uh, 30 something years after the fact of this movie. Yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see what that gives. And I do agree with you that if it was not for the actors, this would get a lot lower rating Correct. in my head. That's the only reason I gave it above a five, to and be honest. The only reason why I gave it an eight was yep. because of the actors within it. The yeah. acting was very good. Yeah. Very good. So, and it. That, it God, that blows my mind. A $30 million and only made four. Jesus Christ. I mean, in 89, That's 30, a bigger 30 flop million than is like, Passchendaele. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it actually is. Yes. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The writer director of this movie damn. does not have the best reputation, I have to say. <laughs> so I haven't. Well, it's funny. Even for Memphis Bell, that guy hasn't really done anything yeah. since this then. guy. So the other like... thing he's famous for doing is the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, oh, you know, oh. I don't know, I know that. <laughs> infamous for yeah. bad. I don't know. Big oof. oof. Uh, yeah, big oof. They just hired hookers, but yeah. I'm on set. You Roland know, like, yeah, he's not known for like doing the most. Uh, most critically acclaimed things <laughs> so but the casting was really good yeah like i did yeah. like that like so that's the only redeeming quality but like if the acting would have sucked this would have gotten below a five the only redeeming quality was the acting itself and the fact that they kind of told the story a little bit and maybe people will go and research it like we always say like that's the whole goal we're all history nerds we all want people to like research these things. Maybe it'll get somebody to like actually look into the Oppenheimer project or I'm sorry, the Manhattan project. Look at, look at Oppenheimer, look at fucking, you know, all the shit that took place, you know, at Los Alamos, you know, at the Trinity test site and everything. So watching this makes me want to wish it was next Friday already. So I'm in the theater watching fucking Oppenheimer. I'm really, really looking forward to that. And that's the reason we want to do this week. This guys, you know, it's, it's, I think it's going to be very, Probably one of the best films, if not the best film of the year. We'll see. Um, um, you're gonna hype yourself you know, gonna up, and it's gonna be a disappointment. You're gonna be like, I, it's gonna be fuck. like Tenet. You're gonna be like Tenet. You're gonna be like, what the fuck is this oh, shit? Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, Nolan you know? for me, like, yeah, he's uh, he's got some good stuff, but uh, yeah, he's got some shit. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to Where see. You know, you hopefully, back, man? hopefully it's not all hype train. But I've if it falls into at least this category, I'd be happy. I, I think it'd be worth my time. So. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much, guys, for joining us. If you haven't seen the movie, and you, you know, before the film comes out, Oppenheimer, definitely get a chance to see it. And just remember, are you the reporter from New York Times? I went three stories. One of you succeed, one of you fail, <laughs> and one of you disintegrate. See you guys next week. That's going to literally be our fucking project in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating. Otherwise, Mel Gibson won't stop screaming. If you like this content, make sure to check out our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages. If you want to directly support our work, make sure to check out our Patreon. All these links are in the description below. Until the next time, scuttlebutt out.